are listening to a message by Pastor David Guzik for Enduring Word. For more information about our ministry, please visit EnduringWord.com. Well, good afternoon, everybody. So pleased that you could join us. What's unusual about this particular time is my wife, Inga Lil, yes. is joining us for the Welcome. question and answer today. Welcome. Glad to be here with you. We don't mind if it's a little informal, do we? No, no. We don't no. feel it's, like it's we're easier. trying to put on no. a highly skilled no. production for everybody. No, not at That's all. That's not the idea at all. No. At all. Well, not no. one bit. We're just real people answering real questions. Yes, yes, yes. So we're so, happy about that. Okay. So um, what are we doing today? Well, um, we're going to answer questions. We're going to um, see what um, questions come in. And I just want to tell you a little bit about um, what I've got going on in my life right now. Um, m- many of you know that I do um, speaking for women's events and that I do dental missions. So um, I've had a couple of speaking engagements, one here in town and one down south. And I'll be doing one in uh, Reno uh, in a month, and then a month later, I'll be doing a dental mission um, with a group of people, group of ladies, uh, and one guy, um, to Cambodia this um, November. And um, this is a little different, because usually we go to either a church or an orphanage. Mm-hmm. Well, these are long-term um, Wycliffe translators that have developed relationships with with villages where they're translating um, the Bible into these uh, languages, and so they have they have the contact. So we're we're just going to these villages, probably to a community center or something. I don't really know all the details. I'm kind of the assistant on this trip, um, assisting Janelle Bresnik, who uh, will be doing it. Sure. Some of these trips you organize, uh, yes. and some of them you just go as I part of a team. As a part of a team and, and help out where I can. So really, really looking forward to going to a country that I've never been to before and uh, working with people that I've never met before. So that's going to be exciting. And a f- great I got a great trip, um, booked a great trip, so it's not going to take me like the 24, hours. You, you mean like with hours. the flights and everything? With the flights, yeah. yes, yeah. So that was great. Because when you're flying all the way across the world, sometimes that's a Sometimes a big, it takes forever. Yeah. So this this was, I lucked out on this one. God, God speed on this one. So, that's right. Yeah, so looking forward to that. So pray for that. Pray for all the logistics, all the, pray for the whole COVID situation, all the details on that. Just keep... Um, my next dental trip in your prayers. Okay, so as far as I remember, you've done this once before, right? Sat in with me once before? I think once before. I think I popped and, and in and you popped in a couple times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that's yeah, right. Yeah, so you did this once before. So, and just, I I thought you had a great idea. Hey, let's do it again today. So, I know, I was very happy for I that. I know, usually right. you're the one. Do you want to do it? You want to do it? And I was the one. Let's do it. Yes. Okay. Anyway, I want to say hi to my mom and dad who's listening in Sweden. And uh, just want to give a shout out. Love okay. you, mom and dad. Yeah. Yeah. Hello. Okay. Let me say one more thing. Yeah. Uh, can oh, you hand me that book? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Somebody asked a uh, question last week about a book that's behind my stuff. It's this great book, A Story of My Life by Bishop William Taylor, Bishop of Africa. And it's a marvelous, marvelous book. Sometime in coming weeks, we're going to give one of these books away. Uh, just because it's an awesome book. Wow. Yes. Yeah. 
So, so wait a minute, you have one here, and then you well, have I got one. an extra one. I didn't oh, want to give away. Okay, give away you know, the one you had. Okay. I may give away my copy, and but and, I, I wanted to have one for myself. Too. Okay, but what's the book about? Why would somebody? It's the want story. It? It's an amazing old book, and it's about the life and the travels and the ministry of a man named William Taylor, who was an amazing missionary in the nineteenth, uh, in the eighteenth and ninth. Well, in the nineteenth and twentieth century. Okay. Yeah. So it's fantastic. Wow. Very cool. Okay, so um, with that, should we get on to the questions? I think we should. Okay, well, don't can, you say um, welcome to your TRW listeners? Uh, to our T- TWR, TWR. 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 Yes. TRW, that's a credit bureau. I know, I know. TWR 360, Transworld Radio 360, yes. Yes. is an amazing ministry that's reaching the world, uh, both with the shortwave radio application, which they've right. been doing for decades, yeah. and their online application. We're very happy to be partners with TWR 360. Love the work they do. Yes. It's amazing. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's fantastic. So welcome. Okay. So I want you to take, once you t- read and begin to address this first question, uh, you can introduce that one. Ingalil, do you see okay, that? Okay. Yes. We have Tunnelbanan 23. And uh, it says, hello from Sweden. Hey, Pode Oxo. Um, why was it, the question reads, why wasn't Mary Magdalene allowed to touch Jesus after his resurrection? Okay, do you remember that situation? Okay, uh, Jesus meets, or maybe you should more properly say, Mary meets Jesus Jesus. in the garden where his tomb was after his resurrection. Okay. And um, after he reveals himself to her, Mm -hmm. he says, and the wording in the King James is especially expressive. The wording in the King James is this, touch me not, Mary. Okay. Now, this is what I would say to that uh, answer to your question, Tunnelbanan Shugotre. I would say the answer to your question is simply this, is that touch me not or don't touch me is not a good translation of the sense. Actually, what Jesus said was, stop clinging to me. I must ascend to my father. Mm. There are some people who have kind of put forth the suggestion that Jesus had not yet ascended to his father and uh, performed some act as high priest, you know, after his resurrection. And therefore, that reason, um, he didn't want to be touched. Hmm. You know, it's something like the touch of a human being could make him impure. I don't think that's it at all. Hmm. I think what happened is when Mary saw Jesus and realized it was Jesus, mm-hmm. that she hugged him with a death grip. Oh. And Jesus said, almost probably with a little bit of humor in his voice, yeah. Mary, let go of me. I have to ascend to heaven. You know, not anytime soon, but in 40 days, he would ascend to heaven. In other words, you're you're not going to keep me on earth by hugging me this hard. Gotcha. I really think that that was the sense of the question. So the the translation, because I mean, literally, you could use the translation, don't touch me or touch me not. But we understand how figures of speech work. Sure. And, sure. and that was just a simple figure of speech, especially in the verb tense sure. in which Jesus gave that yeah. to simply say, stop <laughs> clinging, clinging to me, me right. was really right. the right. Uh, the right. the thing that Jesus put forward there. Right. So good. Yeah. Great. Awesome. Great question. OK. OK. Sherry P says what? I, I kind of like this. You're going to read the questions. I am going to read the questions. OK, yeah. this is good. Good I job. Like that. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. yeah. What does laying on of hands do that prayer itself doesn't? Give corresponding scripture, please. Oh, okay. Sherry, I I don't know if I can come up with all the scriptures off the top of my head Mm -hmm. because, again, I don't have a concordance in front of me. I have an entire Bible commentary 
that you could look up online. Right. No doubt, for example, if you looked up the passage in James chapter 5, where it speaks of elders laying anointing with oil and the laying on of hands, right. I'm sure I'd probably go on about this. But I'll just give you the, the quick answer with some reference to some scriptures. The idea of identification with, through the laying on of hands, goes all the way back to the Old Testament, where the priests were consecrated with the laying on of hands. Mm -hmm. And maybe even more importantly, when an Israelite brought sacrifice to the tabernacle sure, or to sure. the temple, they, they were supposed to lay their hands on the head mm -hmm. of the sacrificial victim and confess their sins. Mm -hmm. That's in Leviticus. Mm -hmm. And in that in that motion was I'm I'm placing myself in there's an identification, identification between right. okay. yeah. the thing myself and that which I'm laying hands on. Right. So it's simply that. It's that it's that it's an identification. It's it's an expression of the unity of the body of Christ. It's expression of the the uh, multiple nature of the body of Christ. We're not just all individual Christians, but we belong to something glorious that God has made the church. Mm -hmm. And so you're, you're right, Sherry. There is a sense in which if I prayed for you or for somebody else without the laying on of hands, um, it could be just as effective and just as powerful. But it does say something in identification, in comfort, in obedience to a scriptural pattern. We do have the example of Paul speaking to Timothy mm -hmm. to not neglect, neglect the gift that was within him mm -hmm. that was given to him through the laying on of hands. Okay. So apparently when Timothy was ordained or sometime when he was prayed for, other people laid their hands upon him and right. he received gifts. So, so in answering that question, it's not so much that it does, it does something that prayer can't do. It's a different kind of praying. It's praying in a way that symbolizes some things that are done physically. Yes. So it's not it's not in replacement of, but it's a it's a form of prayer. Yes. Okay. So and again, since we have this scriptural pattern of sort of this idea of identification with or transference with right. this idea of laying on hands, it's right. it's a scriptural pattern in that sense. Right. Just like we would say. Um, praise is prayer as well, or prayer can be praise as well. So, and and identifying with the idea of what what the intention is of what you're doing in prayer. Yes. Okay. It, it's a little bit like the answer to the question, Sherry. Um, why should I pray on my knees? Mm -hmm. Now, and, and this is how I would express it. The Bible obviously uh, describes a lot of prayer that is not made on the knees. Right. But it certainly describes several times where people prayed kneeling. Right. Or so the it, posture of prayer and standing. Standing. That was hands. another yeah. customary posture yeah. of prayer to okay. stand with the hands raised, yeah. maybe with the head sort of uplifted right. to heaven. Right. It, it, it's not as if kneeling in prayer does something, something right. that seated prayer does not. Right. Yet it can be a meaningful expression right. of somebody's heart. Yep. Yeah, I think that's good. Think that's good. I think that's good. Okay, yeah. good. Go on to the next question here. Okay, we have David Morehouse, and he says, "What is your favorite sermon from Charles Spurgeon or book? Uh, do you have a book? okay? Okay. Do you have a book or a favorite sermon? 
you know, people can't see because it's behind the camera know, over there. I know, it's kind of weird. How, yeah, it, it is weird. There's, there's a portrait, a framed portrait. What, what do you think that is? Like two feet by three feet? Something like yeah, that almost? Yeah, 18 by 20. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Of Charles Spurgeon. I have a huge poster yeah. of Spurgeon. Yeah. I think and I framed that for you and gave it to you for I think you did, yeah, yeah. yeah. A long yeah. time ago. Long, yeah, long time awesome. ago. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm a big Spurgeon fan. He's good. Yeah, he is. Okay, so asking me to narrow down a favorite sermon. Uh, I, I really have read thousands of Spurgeon sermons over the years. Okay. I haven't read all of his sermons by any means, but I, I've read a lot of them. Okay. And I can't pick out any one particular sermon, but I will give one particular book that's been very... Well, no, two. Two, two particular books. Okay. Number one... Spurgeon's devotional morning and evening is something I still often read. It's great. So I strongly recommend his devotional. He has one devotional for every morning, one devotional for every evening, 365 days a year. Morning and evening, his devotional, I think is fantastic. But then beyond that, uh, Charles Spurgeon wrote a book for pastors it was a collection of his... No, I don't think it's back there. I was thinking about okay, that. Okay, all right. Um, I'll look It's in our other bookcases. You can look back there. Uh, it was... You could maybe find a Spurgeon bobblehead down there. Uh, Spurgeon wrote a book that is a compilation of his lectures given to the students at his pastor's college. And he called it, significantly, Lectures to My Students. So uh, that has been a book that has been very helpful for me in the ministry and uh, very grateful to have it. So lectures to my students. Um, yeah, that's yep. that's a book I'd recommend. Okay, so he's right there. Oh, is he right there? Okay, good. Don't, I don't want him to fall off. Push him back a little bit more. There okay, good. Go. He'll break if he falls off. I know. All right, good. Yeah, there we go. I, okay. I, I think he's right behind me, though. I don't think he... Oh, there you go. There People you go. can see it now. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> go to the next one. Okay. Next question. Next question. Oh, let's see. Okay. Let's see. So, Sometimes they lag a little bit. Okay. okay. They, it's lagging a little bit. All right. So there. Okay. Okay. Next right question is from Tyler um, Spintman. It says, Usually I just say the first name. Oh, Tyler. M okay. Maybe some of our people want to remain anonymous. Oh, okay. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't okay, know. sorry, Tyler. Okay, for those who enter the millennial kingdom still in human form, when will they receive their new bodies? Okay, Tyler, I always preference my answer to such questions with a little bit of a disclaimer, a little bit of a, of a warning here, that what we're talking about, this thing's having to do with eschatology, things having to do with the last days, the last times, and... There's a lot of different opinions on this in the Christian world and has been since the days of the early church. So um, I, I'm going to give you what I think is the correct answer biblically, but I, I do just want to acknowledge that there's a divergence of opinion among this among Christians. But you're asking me, so I'm going to give you my answer and I can give it to you without apology. Um, I believe that those on the millennial earth will receive their resurrection bodies Either when they die, that's a possibility, uh, because there will be death for the citizens of the earth in the millennial kingdom. I'm not talking about believers who have already received their resurrection right. body right. and rule and reign with Jesus Christ in some way. I'm talking about those who are on the earth 
sort of the citizens of millennial earth, they will still be able to die. Uh, Isaiah speaks about that. Now, they'll have greatly extended lifespans, Mm -hmm. as probably was the case uh, early in biblical history in the book of Genesis, Mm -hmm. but they will still be, so they'll receive resurrection bodies when they die, or at the very end of the age, so to speak, the end of the millennial age, when uh, God resolves all things and uh, unredeemed humanity appears before the great white throne judgment. Hmm. So I would say that either upon their death or upon the very end of the age, if they survive through to the end of that millennial period. Is age going to accumulate the same way? Well, you know, it's always a little bit hard to say, as far as we know, know. but you know, who knows? They're, they're the, the, I think the millennial earth is going to be very interesting. In some ways, it'll be very much like this earth that we know, but in other ways, it'll be quite different. Okay. So yeah, a little hard to say. Okay. Okay. We have Benji. The next question is, what's your view on the lordship salvation position versus the free grace position? Okay. Lordship salvation. Mm. And, and Benji, I'm going to give this to the just the best of my quick understanding. And just, just as often when you give a quick definition, you don't fully do justice right. to the position. Right. But I, I think I'm giving at least the broad outline of it. The Lordship Salvation position says this, that you aren't saved. You aren't right with God. You aren't going to heaven unless Jesus is your Lord not just your savior. Mm. So there will be a certain amount or a certain attitude of obedience that's evident in those who are saved. Then the kind of free grace position, if you want to say that, uh, makes the contrast and says, no, we are saved by grace. And it has nothing to do with our performance. It has nothing to do with our obedience. Um, essentially saying that you can have Jesus as um, Savior without him necessarily being your Lord. Okay, mm-hmm. I, I, and this is a question from Benji. Mm-hmm. Uh, Benji, I am blessed to have the liberty to not have to uh, put myself in one camp or another. Mm. Um. Because again, I, I don't think that these are biblically defined camps. Lordship salvation is not a Bible phrase. Right. Uh, free grace is not a, a uh, Bible phrase, so to speak. Well, you could debate a little bit on that. So he, here would just be my understanding of that issue. Hmm. Of course, we are saved by the glorious grace of God. Oh. Nothing else. It's all the grace of God. Yeah. And apart from what we do, past, present, or promised before God, his grace is given to us freely. It's received by faith, but it's given to us freely. Mm -hmm. Now, when God gives his grace, he also gives transformation of life. Charles Spurgeon, we're back to him again, he said something to this effect. He said, the grace that does not change my life 
will not save my soul. Mm. Or you could turn that around and say, mm. the grace that saves my soul will also change my life. Right. Now, we understand... Not, not as a prerequisite, but as, uh, as an... As an outwork. As, as an outwork, yes. as an evidence yes. of salvation. So, what we understand is this, is that those changes that grace works in our life right now, they aren't all immediate, Correct. of course. right. And they're not finished until we're resurrected. Right. But if there's no evidence of change, right. it's right to question whether or not that person has received God's grace to salvation. If if they, after salvation, have a long enough life. Well, an, an appreciable period to, of time. An appreciable period of yeah, time, correct. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, if somebody uh, seems to genuinely give their life to Christ. On the deathbed, for example. Well, or or let's just say, you know, when they're 30 years old. Right. You don't come to them the next day no. and say, well, right. why isn't your life no, radically no, no, changed? No, no. Right, correct. That's right. So uh, we understand the changes aren't all immediate. Right. And the changes are never complete until we're totally. resurrected. Correct. But they're, they're, it's valid to expect some evidence of change. Yep. And yep. to be honest, I don't know if that puts me in the Lordship Salvation camp mm. or the Free Grace camp. Mm. I don't care about being in either one of those camps. Yeah. I just say, I, I think I understand pretty clearly how the grace of God works in a person. And it doesn't work just to save the soul. Right. It also works to transform the life. Amen. That's right. Okay, so we have another question here from N. That's all it says is the letter N. And um, since you're here with your wife. I, I am here with yep, my wife. Do we choose who to marry or does God already have someone picked out for us? Is the saying, I'm waiting on God, in quotations, for a spouse, a correct concept to have? That's a good one. That's do, you, a, do you want to deal with this first? I, I'll deal with you, it a little uh, bit and then okay, you can. Okay, you can, good. Yeah, I'll I, take a drink of water while you're talking. Okay. Let me let me deal with the second part of this question that says, is the saying, I'm waiting on God for a spouse, a correct concept? I think um, waiting on God to prepare you, ready you, establish you um, in himself is the better way to look at it. And by that, I mean, am I marryable right now? Am I, am I at a place where where um, if I was open to it, God could use this as a season where I wait on him to help me decide. I think being in the will of God, being committed to him in prayer, you're, you're not entertaining sin in your life, is the way that we wait on God for everything. Um, and especially as we wait for God to um, direct us in looking for a spouse, uh, choosing a spouse, um, being ready uh, is huge. It's it's a huge thing. Um, do people get married when they're not ready? Yes, of course. Do Christians get married when they're not ready? Yes, of course. But I think that there's there's a period of time in our life where we say, I, uh, I God, I am I I think that I'm ready. Um, if this is a good season and time in my life where I can be open to the prospect of marriage, um, would you please guide me and help and direct me in this? So that... Um, Here, we're back up. Okay, there we are. Okay. And then the other one is, since you're... Um, do we choose who to marry or does God already have someone picked out? 
I am a huge proponent. <laughs> I, this is a little bit of a hobby horse or a pet peeve for me. I believe that God works within our choice who we marry. I do not think he takes this of all other aspects of living away from us, this choice away from us. Um, I believe that this choice, like every other choice he gives us, is a choice that he loves to direct us in, loves to help us in, but it is our choice. And the reason why... what Are you trying to say that you could have married someone else? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) If I chose to marry somebody else, I would have. I'm glad you didn't. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you didn't. And I'm glad you chose me. And this is my reason for this. Okay. Is... Every woman, and I think every man as well, if they want to admit it, every woman um, needs to be chosen, needs to know that they are chosen, needs to have that settled in their heart and mind that I have chosen you, you have chosen me. There has been no coercion. There has been no God told me to marry you. And I wouldn't have married you unless God had told me. It's a horrible premise or foundation for marriage. Yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, I'm I'm being forced into this by God. I'm really not choosing you. Right. Now, I believe that God can reveal to me that this is... uh, an okay choice for me, or God, as I pray about to marry you, like I, both of us did, um, this is a good choice for both of us. We would be a good choice for one another. Um, now, that that's, I would say that's under ideal circumstances, because things happen, life happens, life is messy, and uh, it might not always seem like you had a choice. Um but it doesn't mean that you can make that choice once the choice has been made. You know what I'm saying? It's it's the idea of, I didn't just choose you once to no. marry you. I, I've chosen him hundreds of thousands of times. I choose him because yeah. that is one of the ways that we love our spouse, is a, a renewed choice, whether it you know, however many times it needs to be, because marriage is hard and it's tough. And I choose to be with you, not because I'm coerced, but because it is a choice that I make, because it's good for you to know that I've chosen you over and over again. I hope that helps. It helps me. Yeah, it helps I don't know you. if it helps. No. Okay. It, so, but let me ask you this. Okay. So it's possible to be overly spiritual in the pursuit of a spouse, correct? Yes, yes correct. Okay, well, I, yeah. let me let me continue. Okay. Yeah. It's yes. also possible to be overly practical. True. I'm not going to pray about it. True, um, yeah. You know yeah. what? Yeah. I'm just good, man, yeah. I'm just good. Okay, yeah. so it's possible to error on either mm-hmm. side. Mm-hmm. Now, just in your experience through the years, mm-hmm. do you see people erring more on the side of being too spiritual or too practical? And I know that's a subjective answer because it could differ from person to person. I'm just talking about Mm -hmm. your experience. Okay. Well, let let me say, I think it's a generational answer. Okay. I think in our generation, um, people might have looked more at the practical because it seemed to need more practicality. Um, You know, life and college and money. We didn't have the, and all we that. Didn't have the internet we to did, find people. No, you didn't yeah. have the, that too. <laughs> but it just seemed like you based some of some or maybe a majority of your on on practicality. Um I think in 
subsequent generations, maybe the last generation or so, um, may have over-spiritualized it. Like, I'm not going to marry somebody until God tells me to marry them. I'm not going to... Um, and, and I don't know if we can rely so 100% on our ability to hear God. Mm. God speaks 100% clearly, but our ability to hear is not always clear. So I think that over-spiritualizing um, is, is detrimental and has been a little bit detrimental for a generation or so that has not married. Um, there's a lot of single people that don't want to take the risk they don't feel confident. They don't feel like God has given them enough indication. And that that's sad to me. Marriage, marriage is a great institution that God has given us, but it's not the end all. It's not necessarily the life's goal that you should have. Um, I think to honor God with your life in, in every season, station you're in is the most important thing, yes. whether you're single, single for a time, single again, um, married, going to be married. I think that um, you got to have some of your priorities straight mm. in your relationship with God in order for even the marriage to be good. Yes. Anyway. So, okay. anyway That's fantastic. Okay, great. Okay. Uh, wonderful answer to that question. Let's go on to the next one from Grizzle. Okay, and it says, why does the Old Testament God and the New Testament God seem so different in his character attributes? Well, good question there, that isn't is it? a good question, okay. yeah. Well, um, he here's what I would say. Um, I would say, really, that is, and, and please, I, I mean, I, I don't want to act as, uh, I, I don't want my answer to be insulting to you at all. Mm -hmm. But honestly, that's based on a fairly superficial reading of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Because over and over again, the God revealed to us in the Old Testament, Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, reveals his love and compassion over and over. Now, you, you might say that there's a greater proportion of his judgment and justice revealed in the Old Testament, but there's lots of his love and grace and compassion revealed in the, in the Hebrew scriptures. But then it's also failing to appreciate the judgment, the holiness of God as it's revealed in the Greek scriptures in the New Testament. So I think that's only possible with a fairly superficial reading of both the Hebrew scriptures, what we commonly call the Old Testament, and the Greek scriptures, what we commonly call the New Testament. Uh, when you take a look at both of those in their fullness, you see that God is a God of both justice, uh, holiness, love, and mercy revealed in both Testaments. So, yeah, I, I would kind of question the premise of that question, mm -hmm. e even though, again, I, I don't want to act like people are crazy for thinking of it because, you know, yeah. you do see some pretty dramatic yeah. revelations yes. of God's yes. justice and yes. holiness in the Old Testament yes. and some pretty wonderful revelations of his grace and mercy. But there's plenty of both in both. Yeah. OK. Yeah. And I think that reminds me of the scripture in Colossians where it says uh, in Colossians 1, 15, it says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. 
For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And then it keeps on talking about him. And I think that we need to understand the fulfillment of God in the person of Jesus Christ um, and the work that he did uh, on our behalf was done as as one as one decision by one God mm. so very good okay another question here we have from June bug and it says will there be any disappointment felt when believers are receiving rewards specifically for believers who escaped but who, who, who's escaped, but as through the flame. You get the sense of that question. Yeah, yeah. So there, there we are at the judgment seat of right, Christ, right, right. receiving our rewards. Yeah. And you receive a huge crown of reward, and I receive almost nothing. Right? Well, it, it could happen that way. Yeah, it could happen that yeah. way, you know? Uh, so am I going to be sad? Am I going to be like, oh... Look, what a loser I've been my Christian life. If I would have been more faithful like my wife, I could have received a greater reward. Is it going to be like that for people in heaven? It's a pretty interesting question, isn't it? Okay, well, we can give the emotional or the what seems like the logical answer, but is there any biblical? <laughs> well, the Bible that's, that's tells us that anything. there's no sadness in heaven. That's right. He'll wipe away the tear. It, mm -hmm. it expresses mm -hmm. no sadness, no regret, no pain, mm -hmm. no suffering. Mm -hmm. So we, we kind of got to put that thing aside yeah. of um, yeah. us being sad about the life we lived on earth. Right. Right. No, no, no. You, you go ahead. No, You're going to no, say something. No, Could I it be gonna, profound? I, uh, no. <laughs> no. Could be. <laughs> Could be. I, I think that if we understand who we are going to be in heaven once once we're there i think the whole idea of rewards is not going to be um so people based it's going to be uh, even though i think it's important to understand that here on earth we uh we can be um motivated by um, by the love and the the dedication and the commitment that we have, um, whether it gets reward, we none of us really know until we get there. And so true. the idea that hmm. we are conceiving of our rewards here about them is it's almost almost a waste of time. It, it's almost like we we don't really know. We we only know that God sees our heart. And he has his his rewards are a reflection of how we did what we did, not what we did. Isn't it true that there's probably no doubt a lot of believers who think they're going to have a big reward in heaven and find out that they don't? Sure. sure. There's going to be other believers who yeah. assume they have very little reward. Okay, but I they're going to be yeah. But I think just the I'm sorry to interrupt you, but yeah, the no. very fact that once we get to heaven, we will actually really know. We'll know already yes. then. It yes. won't be a mystery. So, so yeah. in in essence of the answer in the question, there won't be a disappointment or a sadness. I think we will be, um, we will all be giving glory to God 
for what he was able to do in and through any one of us. And any reward that we do receive, we understand that we only did it because he gave us both the strength, the giftings, the ability, the, 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 the power to do it. So we can enjoy now the service that we give. Um, I think we're all going to enjoy everybody's rewards. Yes, I, I just kind yes. of see it that the, way. The, the ego thing will completely be out of yeah. The way. There won't be there won't be any sense of comparing. I think we will all be. Uh, it's almost like when you read um, Hebrews uh, eleven eleven ha- Hall of Fame. You re- you read that and you go, "What they they that's what they're known for." Mm-hmm. I think we'll, I think we'll be so surprised. Yeah, that gets rewarded, and yeah. you know all this other stuff doesn't. I don't even think we'll be. There. I think we'll know that we know that we know once we're there, what it's all about, what this whole reward thing is all about. It's a great. Um, it could be a bad motivator, but it can also be a good motivation of stewarding our time, our gifts, and our talents well, and maximizing what God has given us the ability to do. But with the ability, he is going to look at the heart in which we do it. Yeah. Okay, one more thing about this. One of my preferred ways to conceive of the reward that we'll have in heaven really has to do with the the picture of God rewarding us with the capacity to enjoy him. And what reward is, is receiving a bigger cup with which to Hmm. enjoy God in heaven. Hmm. And everybody's cup will be full. Hmm. But maybe reward is a greater capacity. Hmm. So we'll all enjoy a fullness of our own cup. Yeah. But maybe what God gives in reward is a greater capacity to enjoy him. All right. All right. All right. Good. Okay. Next one. Susan says, what are your thoughts on the Apocrypha books? Do you think pastors should preach from these books? No. What? No to what? What are your thoughts on the Apocrypha? No. Pastors (laughs) should not preach. Okay. Okay. Um, Being a Protestant, and actually because some Protestants accept the Apocryphal books, the apocryphal books are certain books of the old connected to the Hebrew scriptures, first and second Maccabees, Ezra's, uh, some chapters in Daniel are thrown in, uh, Wisdom of Solomon, maybe. I, okay, I, I forget all of the apocryphal books. Mm-hmm. But these are books that were honored among some of the ancient Jews. But to my knowledge, they were never accepted as being scripture on the same basis as, for example, Jesus never quotes from the Apocrypha. He quotes from all over the Old Testament. The New Testament never quotes from or alludes to the Apocrypha books. At at any point? Nope. Okay. Nope. I've seen some people try to make some very kind of tenuous connections, but I, I, I personally don't buy it. Mm. There's certainly nothing clear or convincing. Mm. So, now, that's not to say that there's no value to the apocryphal books. Just as in the books behind me, I think there's a lot of value. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't take one of these books behind me that's not a Bible. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't take um, this book, the second volume of of, uh, 
William Latterett's A History of Christianity, which is an amazing textbook on right. church history. Right. I wouldn't take from this and preach from it on a Sunday. No. I might quote from it. Okay, but just as well as you might quote from that, would would it be wrong to quote from an apocrypha book? No, as, just, as much as it just as long as you weren't treating it as scripture. Okay. Just, so we, we shouldn't regard okay. the apocryphal books as dangerous okay. or worthless. Okay. They're just not inspired scripture right. as the 66 books of the Hebrew and the Greek scriptures are. Okay. So that, that's simply how, how I would put it. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Okay, next one is from um, Horatio. It says, in Exodus 19.6, God tells Moses that Israel will be a nation of priests, but then it is only the Levites who officiate in the priesthood. Can you explain, was it because of the sin of the golden calf? Ooh, Ooh. that's a good question, Horatio. Okay, but I can give you an answer. When God said to Israel that he would make them a nation of priests, he wasn't trying to say that each individual in the nation would be a priest, as he would later call uh, Aaron and his descendants priests. The idea was that as Aaron and his descendants were to all Israel, a priestly family among a much larger population, so Israel would be to the nations. Okay. D does that make sense? Did yeah, I explain yeah, that well yeah. enough? Yeah. It's just wrapping your head around. Right. So, again, it wasn't that each individual in Israel would mm -hmm. be a priest the mm -hmm. way that Aaron and his sons were, mm -hmm. but that they would have the place of Aaron and his sons to all the nations oh, of the world. Right, right. And it, it kind of shows us, this is one of these wonderful places in the Old Testament that shows us that God had a heart for the nations. God wanted to reach the world through Israel and what he did with Israel. Mm -hmm. Just like there is a sense in which he wanted to reach and minister to the whole nation of Israel mm -hmm. what, by what he did through the priests of Israel. That's good. The idea of the priesthood of all believers does not come under the old covenant, the covenant that God made with Israel and Moses at Mount Sinai. It comes through the new covenant established by Jesus Christ. Under that, we are all, all priests. priests. Okay. So the, it connects the, the ideas. Yes. That's yes. great. Tony says, is there, to your knowledge, of any noted writings from eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ's resurrection other than the apostles in the Bible? Well, eyewitness accounts other than what we have recorded for us in the Bible, no, but... What we have recorded to us in the Bible indicates the existence of those eyewitnesses outside the Bible. For example, when speaking about the resurrection of Christ in one of Paul's letters, he cites what was a song used in the early church, talking about the death and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. Okay. Well, we have that record in the Bible, but Paul's pointing to a song that existed among Christians even at that point. Oh, and, and the so, song okay. in, existed independently of the scriptures. Of the scriptures. Okay. Well, that's interesting. So we don't have a contemporaneous account such as written by Pontius Pilate. Uh, that we, we do have disputed writings of Josephus. 
Disputed in... Uh, well, people think that they were added oh, to okay. by Christians, okay. so they're disputed. Okay. But those are somewhat disputed, so I, I don't know if we should rely on those. Okay. Okay, before we go any further yeah. for the next question, yeah. but, you know, there's a lot of people who've joined us since you okay. came on. all right. Who, who are you oh. and why are you here? <laughs> why am I here? I am Inga Lil. I am David Guzik's wife. David, whatever your name is. It's your is. last name, too. <laughs> I know, I know. And um, for almost 40 years now. I know, it's going to be 40 we've years We've known this, each other for more than 40 years, but we were married almost 40 years ago. So, and I choose you again. As 1980 we did. Yes. was yes. when we first... Wow. Yeah, we met 1980. Wow. Anyway, That's a long time ago. It's a long time ago. Glad to be here with you today, reading the questions. Well, so, and you're helping to answer oh, some of them. Yeah, yes, yeah. you certainly are. Okay, thank you. All right, so we Do you have, want to answer this next one? Um, I can read it and you can yeah, answer it. No, no, okay. no, no. Okay. This goes like this. Um, um, Zmeraldo says, is, is that true that the Ten Commandments stone was made of sapphire? Who chiseled the stones, God or Moses, with God's instructions? Okay. I can't remember the scriptural reference. Okay. But the Bible says that... What God, what was written on the tablets of the Ten Commandments were written by God. And I, I'm seem to remembering the uh, phrase written by the very finger of God. Right. So the tablets that Moses carried down, there's nothing in the Bible that says they were made from emerald. I'm certainly. Right. Or, or saf- sapphire. Sapphire. From yeah. sapphire. From any precious stone. We could just regard those as being stone tablets. But what was actually written, um, at least in the original ones, no doubt the tablets that, um, that uh, oh, there we go. The Lord said to Moses, look I'm, at this. I'm I, need, I need you. to have you a, a long time. <laughs> look up this scripture for me, darling. Yes. The Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Okay, so... And these were the second tablets. Right. And so chiseling out, making the tablets themselves... You make the tablets, did. Moses, I'll, I'll write, write, write on, on them. them. Yeah. Okay, and this this was no doubt the scripture that I was referring to. Right. Now, I do want to notice here, Ingalil, you went to the Bible app. Yes. Did you not? Yeah. Okay, do our... We just came out with a new Bible reading plan yeah. on the Bible app. Yeah. Which is fantastic. Yeah. So uh, we really want to recommend to people that they check out the Bible app and the Enduring Word reading plans on the Bible app. Right. Very, very helpful. Yeah. Okay, so Zmeraldo, I hope that answers your question. Um, We don't have any uh, tablets themselves were made of any kind of precious stone, but we do have the indication that God wrote the words of the Ten Commandments uh, on there himself. Yep. Okay. Okay. Next question comes from Shine. What was the difference between or what's the difference between the rapture and the second coming? Okay, so again, I'm going to give the disclaimer I always give. I am I wrong for making this disclaimer? I just I just want to make it clear. I I know it's a little tedious. Christians have different opinions on right, this. Right. Okay. Well, I, th- I think I think it's good to say because it helps people understand that this is one interpretation. Yes. Even though it might uh, be the right one. I think it's the right one. <laughs> no, I mean, why be. would I tell somebody something I knew yeah, to be wrong? Yeah. 
So, right. okay, I believe that the catching away of the church described in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, what is commonly called the rapture, that word isn't in the text exactly, but it does describing a catching away. I think the Greek word is harpazo, but it's a catching away, a snatching away, mm-hmm. that that is a distinct event to the glorious second coming of Jesus as described in Revelation chapter 19. Mm. One is Jesus coming to a world of relative peace and safety. Another one is Jesus coming to a world in great cataclysm. One is Jesus coming for his church. The other one is coming Jesus with his church. One is Jesus coming to meet his church in the clouds. The other one is to meet Jesus coming with his church to the earth, earth. Um, mm. coming to Israel first. Right. Uh, he'll reign over the whole world, but coming to the land of Israel first. So there's several specific distinctions between the two that make me believe that it's talking about two, if I could use the word phases, two distinct phases of one great appearing of Jesus. The first phase is the his appearing for his church to a world of relative peace and safety in a totally unexpected event. The other one is Jesus coming to a world in calamity with his church to bring judgment, uh, actually at a date that's specifically predicted mm-hmm. as a certain number of days, days from an event known as the abomination desolation. Mm-hmm. So, Shine, I do believe that there's a distinct difference, and I believe that the differences between these two phases or aspects of the return of Jesus Christ are the the two are different enough that they demand a significant uh distance in time mm-hmm. from one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I could say one more thing on yeah. this. Yeah. Go ahead. Thank you. There are people who mock the idea of there being two different phases Mm. or aspects Mm. of Jesus's second coming. Mm. They'll say things like, well, how many second comings do you want? You know, but I would just simply say to that, that Jesus's first coming had many different phases or aspects. When he came as a... When he came 2,000 years ago. He arrived when he was conceived in Mary's womb. Mm. He arrived when he was born in Bethlehem. Mm. He arrived when he came forth out of Egypt. Mm. He arrived when he began his ministry. He arrived when he came on the triumphal entry. Mm. So there were many different aspects to the first Mm. coming of Jesus 2,000 years ago. It shouldn't surprise us if there's more than one aspect Mm. to his second coming. Yeah, I think that's a great way to look at it. So Red says, what is the key to having a godly relationship or how can Jesus be happy with my relationship? Is he meaning this kind of relationship? I don't know. What do you think? Having a godly relationship. Let's let's take it as that. What is the key to having a godly relationship? Um, let's let's talk a little bit before marriage and then after marriage or during marriage. I think having a godly um, marriage or godly relationship with anybody um, is when you base everything that you do and say on uh, glorifying God, is knowing that you can have a lot of fun and a lot of great activities and a lot of interaction with somebody that glorifies God. 
that is honoring to him, that um, puts him first, keeps him at the center. Um, I think that's huge. I think that you should get to the end of the day, so to speak, in any relationship and say, today in my relationship with blank, uh, I honored God, I gave him the, I will give him the glory, and I will continue to um, respect and be committed to the things of God. And so, and I think then if that is how you can have a relationship before marriage, based on that, that should carry over into the relationship of marriage where it takes on a, a, a serving role. How, how can my relationship with you um, benefit your walk with God? Mm. How can I be the kind of Christian that benefits mm. your walk with God? How can you be the kind of Christian that benefits my walk? How can we love and support each other and encourage each other? It's a, that's a huge part of encouraging mm. each other in the Lord. Not being, not being the one who points out all the ways in which you need to grow or need to, you know, get right with with things, but to encourage those things that are, and and raising the bar in in a relationship means um, I want to follow God, so I'm going to be doing this in my life, and the other person sees that and says, well, I want that too. Yeah. Let's do this together. Let's help each other together. And let me just give one suggestion of that. And that is through fasting. Mm. Fasting is one of those things we fast regularly, um, semi-regularly, I'd say. Yeah, it, it's not like there's a certain day of the week, no, but we just no. often. We often fast. Yeah. But how, and I don't have any problem fasting and then cooking a meal for you if you decide you're not going to fast. That's right. But it's much easier if I'm going to fast, we talk about it. Hey, I'm going to pick a couple days next week. We're going to fast pray. And to make it simple and easy uh, for each other. That's a great way to 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 spur each other on, to to um, show that godliness um, in the relationship. You know, what, what I'm hearing you say is is putting the Lord first. Right. You know, Jesus said, seek first, first the, the kingdom, kingdom of, of God, God right. and its righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. Right. But then there's also the very active way of just taking an interest yes. and, and a concern for the mm-hmm. other people, mm-hmm. not living together mm-hmm. as if you're just roommates right. in the same right. house right. or right. whatever, or right. apartment, right. but that you really have and enjoy life together. Yeah. And it's not that we have to have devotional time together. We often have our devotional, almost always exclusively, yeah. apart from each other because we understand our relationship to God is an individual one, but we have almost, uh, you know, 95% a daily prayer time prayer together. Time together. together. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and it wasn't always that way. I mean, it's something you build into the fiber of your living. And there's plenty of stuff to pray for together. So it shouldn't be that hard, but it's hard. It's, you know, it's, it's one of those things. It's not always easy. It's not always easy to find a time. And it doesn't have to be in the morning. It could be in the middle of day. It could be in the evening. It doesn't matter as long as you find that time to, to encourage each other. And there's something very, I think, spiritually building when you're praying in agreement with prayer with your spouse before God. So just saying that's an encouragement. Okay, um, next question comes from... Donald, and he says, what's your favorite reference Bible? Why'd you make that face? Well, because I don't know. I don't know if you have one. <laughs> I don't know if that's something that you okay. have one. I, 
I mean, I'm going to tell them about the possibility. Mm-hmm. Yes? No? 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 no. Okay. No, no. Then I won't. No. Okay. The favorite. <laughs> Don't you love how we work things out? Yeah, right we here? work things okay, out okay, right, right in front that's of you, right, right here. It's right. real live. That's it's safer. Than yeah. To do it in front of yeah. <laughs> so uh, one of my favorite reference Bibles is something called the Open Bible. Um, it's, it's an older study Bible. I'm looking for my copy, but I can't see it right around here. Uh, the Open Bible. No, it's not there. The Open Bible was a great early study Bible that I thought was great and that I use from time to time even now. So again, it's called the Open Bible. I'm sure it's available in several different translations and a lot of different editions. But there's some great study Bibles out there and maybe more great study Bibles on the way sometime in the future. Who knows? Okay. Okay. A couple more questions here. Okay. A couple more questions. I think these two are related or they're together. So does Christian asks, does Mark 13.32 imply that also the Holy Spirit doesn't know it since it says only the Father? And then in Mark um, 13.32, it says, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Okay, what, you know what, what I'm going to do? I'm going to turn to the Enduring Word Bible Commentary. What? Oh, you know, it's interesting. In my comment here, I don't say anything about the Holy Spirit. Okay. Th- this is what I say about Jesus. Okay, yeah. I-, I ask the question, how could Jesus not know the day or the hour? Did not he as God know all things? I say, Jesus did not know this, but it was not because he gave up his omniscience. He is the unchanging God. It was because he voluntarily, in submission to God the Father, restricted his knowledge of this event. Okay, I'll say two things about this. Number one, it may be that what Jesus implied here was not speaking about God not knowing, which the Holy Spirit is God, but was speaking of a human being not knowing. No human being knows only God the Father. So in saying that, he wasn't excluding the Holy Spirit, who is also God. He was excluding every human being. Now, Jesus indicated himself, nor the Son, because he was speaking in reference to his own humanity there. Mm. Jesus, of course, was and is God, but he's also man but he's man in submission to the Father's plan, and that's why he indicated that there. So that's really the answer that I would give there. When Jesus was speaking, no one knows, he's speaking no one among humanity right. knows right. the day right. or the hour. Right. Uh, he's not speaking of God um, in any of his... Not God the Father, God the Son, or God the Father, God the Holy Spirit... Or God the Son, who had joined humanity to his deity. Correct. Okay. You, you think that works? Yeah, I think that works. Can I can I do a follow-up question? This is something that I've been meaning to write into this program or forget to ask when we're having dinner. Which I can You can ask I, me questions anytime, anytime. Anytime, but I have a question. Okay. And it's from John, and it mm-hmm. goes like this. It says this: Jesus says, In my father's house are many mansions. Mm-hmm. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you will be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. When 
when Jesus spoke these words to them, I feel like so many times we interpret this as we're all going to have mansions and it's just taking God, Jesus a long time to prepare these mansions for mm-hmm. us. And when he's finished preparing all these mansions for all the people that are coming, then he'll come for us. Mm-hmm. Um, why is that wrong? Why, why is that not a good interpretation of it? Well, because mansions isn't a terribly good translation okay. of that. What the word literally means is just dwelling, dwelling places. Dwelling places. Now, in the old King James Version, hmm. they're thinking dwelling places connected with heavenly glory, mansions. Mansions, okay. But that's somewhat of an interpretive translation. Okay. Dwelling places, dwelling places. is really a, what it's speaking A place to of. live. Yes. A place. I'm yes. going to prepare yes. a place for you to yes. live. Yes. And then he says, if it were not so, I would have told you. So is there any sense that this preparation time that Jesus has um, has something to do with these places that we're going to live? Uh, okay, I would say okay. it's not that he's preparing... Um, it's not that the time is... Of course, he's preparing a place. He said he would. Yeah. But the time is on preparing us for a place. His plan. It's not like he's building things that are unfinished. Right. In heaven. Okay. Okay. And that's, I mean, I, I think that I I want to confess but that Jesus at some was a point, builder. I, uh, I want to confess at some point I did believe that um, it's just taking him so long because there's so many places to build. Not that God couldn't just say, okay, now we've got, you know. <laughs> Uh, Do you, you think know, Jesus three is building million, them three, all personally? Three billion condominiums. No, no. <laughs> but but um, the the length of time that it's taking for him to come back for his church or to rapture us um, seems so long. I'm yeah. ready. We're ready to go. Well, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Yeah, come quick. Maranatha. Maranatha. <laughs> all right, look, all right. we've come up. To our time. Sorry, we couldn't take all the questions. Today. I know there's so many good ones, and you uh, you are so diligent to take the time to formulate your questions. I know how hard that is, so thank you for um, participating and uh, yeah, joining us now. Um, would you please tell everybody to subscribe and to click notifications? Yeah, they smash that like button oh, yeah, and smash. subscribe <laughs> and click or hammer whatever you have to do to subscribe. <laughs> To um, to you get, get that updates. From our granddaughter. I know our granddaughter smash says that like smash button. that like button. Yeah. Okay, that's good. our granddaughter Serena that says that. Okay, so that's going to be it for yep. the day. Thank okay? you. Do you want to say goodbye to everybody? Goodbye. God bless you, and may you continue to glorify Him in all that you say and all that you do. Thanks for joining us today. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks, baby. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye. You've been listening to a message by Pastor David Guzik for Enduring Word. For more information about our ministry and how to grow in your relationship with Jesus, please visit EnduringWord.com.